0: Welcome to ShopCast, Talking Retail Strategy, with your host, Michael Dart. In this program, we'll spotlight the changes you need to know about in the world of retail shopping and help you plan for the future of the industry. Now, here is Michael Dart.
1: Welcome to ShopCast. I'm Michael Dart, and I'm your host. And ShopCast is the show that spends all its time focused on what's happening in retail today. In fact, what's happening in almost every consumer-facing business. And uh, I'm very excited today. We're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, the fast emerging market of cannabis and the changing retail landscape around cannabis. So whether you are a student, a business student interested in what's happening in fast growing segments, whether or not you are actually running a small business and interested in how new emerging companies are coming through in this particular segment, whether or not you're an investor. Uh, I think we've got something fun and educational for all of you today. I'm joined by two great guests, uh, Jesse McConnell. He's CEO of Rubicon Organics, a vertically integrated marijuana company. Uh, That means they basically control the production all the way through to the sales. And so he has a a really, uh, I think, interesting and unique perspective on the industry. Also joined by Dave Donnan, a partner of mine at AT Carney. Dave spends a significant amount of his time focused on the food and beverage space and over the last few years has become particularly interested in developments around marijuana use and how uh, new products, new developments, new investments are going into this space and what it takes to be successful. Let me spend a moment and just step back and give you some perspective on cannabis in the market. Obviously, it's one of the hottest products uh, that are out there today. Uh, most industry observers, and we're talking now just about the uh, uh, the legal cannabis market, is obviously a huge black market which is very difficult to track. But most industry observers would say that the market is about ten billion dollars or so, and has been growing around 30 to 40 percent per year. So very fast growth rate in terms of legal marijuana use, and that growth rate in 2018 is forecast to grow pretty significantly because California with its 40 million people, have just gained access to legal cannabis this year. So we're going to see another big surge here. So currently we have 29 states that allow medical marijuana. Eight have legalized recreational use. Now, obviously there's a lot of controversy around what's happening in terms of the law here, and it's certainly a topic we want to delve deeply into. Um, But right now we've got a lot of access and increasing access to the product across the United States. So most people, when they look into their crystal ball and say, what do they think this market's gonna look like in about three to four years? They're estimating that it's going to triple, quadruple over that time period. So we're talking about a market of 35 to $40 billion by 2021. In addition, when we look north of the border, uh, we're gonna see a pretty significant growth in the Canadian marketplace this summer as well. Uh, Full legalization countrywide, is going to take place in Canada and so that's going to have a dramatic impact on obviously all of the Canadian uh, producers, providers, retail structure. Ultimately I think it could have a very interesting impact in terms of what's going to transpire here in the US as well. Now when I think about uh, topics that are particularly germane and relevant to retail broadly and what I raise in uh, in my book Retail Seismic Shift, um, I think cannabis has uh, a lot of those. Not only You know, when we think about the great fragmentation of the consumer, we think about what tastes consumers have, what new products they're looking for. As cannabis becomes more mainstream, we're going to see a proliferation of new products, new tastes, new ways in which to reach the consumer. So that's going to be interesting. One of the big themes that has driven, I think, retail forward Mm -hmm. and and been one of the keys to success is how do you develop a brand? And in cannabis, we're at the early stages of people thinking about brand building and what it takes to be successful. And as I've mentioned, one of the key success factors going forward is going to be product development. There are so many potential applications for marijuana use, not only for humans, but in pets and many other segments of the market. Having an ability to develop new products and exploit those is going to be very powerful as well. And so those are the topics which we, amongst others, will be exploring during the course of our conversation today. So let me formally introduce my guests Jesse McConnell, as I said, is CEO of Rubicon Organics. And let me give you a bit of background on him and his company. He's had over 20 years' experience in the United States and Canada in medical cannabis industries. Uh, He was founder, actually, of one of the first Canadian federally licensed facilities. Uh, That's the Whistler Medical Marijuana Corporation. Uh, He's been involved in medical marijuana facilities in Ontario, Washington, California, Maryland, Arizona, through to Illinois. And uh, in 2014, he actually started and developed the first certified organic growing standard for the cultivation of medical marijuana. Now, the company itself is a leader in the recreational and medicinal cannabis market. It's got a growing portfolio of key lifestyle brands uh, that go actually internationally. It's vertically integrated. So they control the value chain, as I said, and has actually a retail solutions company, which is focused on providing high-quality organic cannabis at the lowest possible cost. So uh, very interesting uh, interesting perspectives that, uh, that Jesse will bring. And welcome to the show, Jesse.
2: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: Also joined by Dave Donnan, as I mentioned, who's a partner who spent a, uh, a huge amount of his time focused on this segment as well. And Dave, welcome to the show.
3: Great to be here. Thanks.
1: So my first question, Jesse, uh, I love to ask this to every guest who comes on, is uh, how do they find themselves in the retail industry? But I guess i uh, I'd like to ask you, how did you get into the cannabis business?
2: Uh, well, I have the classic story of a family member who found cannabis to have healing properties. Uh, and in particular, I uh, had a father with a degenerative neurological disease. And so we found a THC CBD blend to be really helpful to him. Um, and then I uh, was doing my, we were finding a way to procure that prior to there being any legal access. Uh, that would have been pushing 20 years ago. Uh, And then uh, I got in as a grad student. uh, Scholarships weren't paying as much as one would like. So the Canadian market in uh, 2000 developed a program called the MMAR, uh, which is the Medical Marijuana Access Regulations, which have since been replaced by the new program called the ACMPR. Uh, And at the time, you were able to uh, cultivate and provide for a limited number of patients. And that was my first foray into the sector, which again at the time was still uh, nascent and, and largely black market with the exception of this one federally legal program. Uh, and then I moved as that program uh, sort of innovated and changed over time and was able to scale a little bit. I started working more closely with dispensaries. And that was shortly before uh, 2013 when the MMAR program shifted to allow for full federal legalization uh, and, and commercialization. More importantly, of the medical program, mm-hmm. and that was when these uh, licensed producers became uh, entered the scene uh, in Canada. Uh, and we were early and saw that uh, legislation being developed, and uh, were ready for an application uh, submission and. Uh, Two months before they actually made that announcement, and so I believe our, I think we were three or four days after the uh, deadline, uh, or after the uh, initial application period opened, uh, we made our submission um, and got the uh, ninth license uh, in Canada, which was uh, was a medical marijuana. Um, And that was really my um, entry point from a uh, nascent entry to a a more mature development uh, along the chain from early days to now.
1: Right, oh, interesting. Very, uh, very interesting path that you took there, Dave. I'm sure your story was different. But what got you interested in the uh, cannabis business? Yeah, mine
3: was a bit different. Again, a family member got me introduced to uh, Jesse and Rubicon. But my background, spending most of my time working in food and agriculture, I'd spent a lot of time on the areas of indoor grow, and actually was an advisor to an indoor growing facility in Chicago that grew uh, various leafy greens and things like that. And then got involved in the greenhouse industry, and that's where who, again, a family member, was able to meet up with uh, Jesse and the team and got involved about two years ago and uh, joined the board on Rubicon and uh, have been looking at this huge, huge potential market that's growing and uh, wanted to be, see it from a business perspective and how, it's, uh, how brands and products will emerge. So I'm excited to be here.
1: That's great. Dave, could you kick off and just clarify for us where the industry stands from a legal perspective? Uh, obviously, a lot of confusion um, in terms of where the Justice Department has recently rescinded an Obama-era policy that was more liberal, etc. Can you just let us know sort of where, what is the current state of play?
3: Well, I mean, in in, uh, in the United States, we obviously, if federally, uh, cannabis is illegal. It is a class one narcotic, same as heroin. And so uh, it has some fairly uh, severe uh, restrictions and, and uh, justice and regulatory issues around it. However, Um, States uh, have been putting in medical marijuana for many years, California being one of the first ones in medical marijuana, and recently have been starting, you remember, with Colorado and with Washington State, going to recreational marijuana. And during the Obama administration, there was basically a laissez-faire approach to states' control. States were able to control and put in the regulatory confinement, uh, still illegal federally, but on a state-by-state basis, it could become medically and then recreationally legal, Obviously, with the new administration, there's been a bit of step back on the, on those things, and there's still uncertainty as to what is happening. An issue of states' rights and the ability for states to control their own destiny here versus the overall government. So, what it means is, for from since it is a class one narcotic federally, but it is legal in California, Washington, Nevada, Oregon, et cetera, It makes it very difficult for companies to get involved, particularly companies that have to rely on any type of federal regulation you know, liquor distributors, pharmaceutical companies, et cetera, who were looking at the market uh, during the Obama administration era are now finding, are taking a step back and actually hit the pause button to try to figure out what is the legality of this and what's the impact going to be. For example, banking cannot, uh, banks cannot uh, have involved in any type of uh, transactions with marijuana at a state level because the banks are federally regulated. And so what you're seeing is Canadian banks actually getting involved because Canada, as Jesse mentioned, would be going full um, legal uh, sometime this summer. And so it's uh, an interesting just position between Canada and the U.S. at this point as to how companies are getting involved either in the Canadian operations or looking at how to get involved at state-by-state level.
1: Would it take a congressional act uh, at the federal level for marijuana to become legal? Or is Uh that something that could just be announced by the Justice Department?
3: Well, um, if, they, if they, you know, Congress wishes to vote that in and approve by the Senate and approve by the president, they can make what laws they want to make. And uh, so that is obviously a potential that's going on. Right now it's still such a gray zone where there's still a lot of pushback by, by individuals, by large companies, but then there's a large, obviously, forward movement as well with the states, you know, seeing the absolute increase in taxation that's going on as well. I mean, you know, if you look at uh, just the taxation that uh, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, et cetera, have have received because of uh, legalizing it. It's it's fairly large. And so, uh, you know, Colorado already surpassed $250 million in tax revenue. Um, uh, So they're, you know, looking at a huge potential here from a a well-regulated cannabis industry.
1: Well, uh, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to ShopCast. I'm here. And we're talking about the cannabis industry. And when we return, we'll talk about how people are thinking about investing in it.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Kearney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atkearney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers 250.
2: Is email an important part of your business? It is for us. That's why Voice America partners with MailJet. Mailjet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast. Microsoft, MIT, and Avis trust Mailjet for their emailing, and so should you. Go to mailjet.com and use the promo code VOICEAMERICA to start emailing for free today.
4: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to ShopCast. I'm Michael Dart, and I'm joined by my two guests here today, uh, Jesse McConnell and Dave Donnan. And we are talking about uh, the retail industry and cannabis and how it's going to evolve. So my next question is, obviously, because of the complexity uh, that exists legally. How do investors think about investing in this part of the market? Uh, and Jesse, if I could start with you. So you know, what what is the, the, the current climate and where are people putting their money and how, how do they think about this?
2: Well, I think you need to start by dividing uh, the market up between the legal uh, federal legal market and the federally mm-hmm. illegal market, and that is essentially the divide between Canada and a few other jurisdictions and the U.S. marketplace. So there's no shortage of capital moving into the Canadian market. Uh, there's an adult use uh, market coming in August of this year. Uh, companies are ramping up. Uh, there's a clear path to licensing and a clear path to a very large marketplace. Estimations anywhere from 5 to $12 billion, uh, depending on who you talk to. Um, So there doesn't seem to be a shortage or issues in that specific place. Now, the true marketplace uh, in terms of size and scope, of course, is going to be the United States of America. uh, And with the California marketing opening up, that's going to be the genesis and birthplace of the new global brands that I think you'll see move uh, across different spaces. Those That industry is much more fragmented, and raising capital is much more difficult in that space, mm-hmm. the obvious initial problem being the federal illegality, uh, but it hasn't prevented high net worth private uh, investors from coming in. Um, you've seen r- few retail investors come into that space, mainly just due to deal access. Banks mm-hmm. don't want to touch that. Uh, there are exceptions. Rubicon has an fdic bank, back bank. Uh, we're one of the very few in the industry that have that in the American space, and I won't tell you who that is. Uh, and anybody in the sector will keep that as a closely guarded trade secret if they're able to secure that, mainly because banks want, want to come into this space, uh, but they're afraid, for the obvious reasons, uh, about entering it or entering it in any public fashion. Uh, certainly, they're not lending capital into the space. So what we are seeing happen, I think, in the U.S. market is the, the, the just below institutional investor level starting to come into California, but still looking for appropriate opportunities. Because while the aggregate of market size is, call it $6 billion in California alone, the number uh-huh. of opportunities is so diverse, and the professionalism of those teams and the lack of audited financial statements and due diligence associated with that, uh, so profound, that it can be difficult for an investor to understand how to enter the space and who to enter it with.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so is most of the capital coming in now in the U.S. into uh, medicinal marijuana facilities? Is that where people are putting the money? Or are you saying that uh, people are putting it in the uh, the area though the legality is still a little bit in the unknown space, but it's a, a calculated risk still for some of these high-net-worth individuals?
2: I'd say that if you look at the value chain – The the majority of the investment initially came into the cultivation space, and that's the highest CapEx space. Uh, These are large facilities, and they require tremendous amounts of capital to operate appropriately. Um, But as the value chain and the supply chain is maturing, it's becoming more apparent where value is going to be created. So you see investment coming on the retail side because that's that's a lower investment. Uh, There's some high margins to be held there. And while your upsides may not be as high, your downsides are certainly much lower. Um, So you're seeing it come across there. You're seeing it come into manufacturing labs. You're seeing it come into sales and marketing teams for the development of brands. You're seeing a bunch of ancillary businesses around that. Uh, But the strength in the sector still is largely found on cultivation uh, because that's foundational infrastructure is still what's going to be that's going to drive the superstructure on top of that you know that product you Mm -hmm. can't just build and buy someone else's product and put it inside that doesn't work in today's marketplace uh you need to have a more authentic story uh you need to control your your value chain more more so than that so a lot of money still coming into integrated facilities that brands are going to emerge out of
1: And Dave, as a consultant, um, what do you tell people who are thinking about investing in this space? Where do you tell them to to put their capital and how do you advise them? It depends
3: if the investors for short-term or long-term. Short-term, there's a lot of market activity right now around the Canadian stocks. There's several publicly traded stocks in the marijuana industry that had high valuations and and quite a big ramp up in the last uh, year and a half or two years. Long-term, it's going to be going after sort of the market for consumer products. And so we're seeing a lot of activity around cannabis-infused uh, beers and wines, uh, different types of edible products. Um, one of the big things at the most recent Expo West uh, new product show was cannabis-infused pet foods, where uh, dogs uh, share the same active cannabinoid receptors as humans, and so. CBD-based and cannabis-based uh, dog foods for older dogs to relieve muscle pain and aches and things like that are coming onto the market. So when I talk to investors, my my uh, counsel really is around watch the Canadian market because it'll be going fully legal, as Jesse said, this August, mm-hmm. and um, look at how that market is evolving because I think no one knows for sure how the whole market from cultivation through extraction, through branding, and to to dispensary is going to work. Each state is a bit different in the US. Canada, even each province is a bit different, where Ontario will be a heavily regulated retail market, where Alberta will be much more of a independently owned retail market. So I think you have to watch each of the different marketplaces. And really decide where you want to play. And then do you insert yourself at cultivation? Do you insert yourself at branding? Do you insert yourself at retail? The whole area of distribution has yet to be defined because it's still state-by-state state and very small clusters of work. And so large-scale distribution that you would see in pharmaceutical distribution or liquor and wine distribution really hasn't evolved yet. So I, you know, our, our counsel is really to watch some of the, the leading indicators here and really know when the timing is right to do the right investments.
1: Uh, I'd love to go back to what you just said about really interesting new products emerging, and, and maybe, Jesse, you can take this one. Uh, so what is happening in the pet space, and what other uh, segments are on the frontier of using marijuana in, the, in their product development?
2: Well, I mean, cannabis really is the, the raw material that's going to drive innovation in all these different product categories. Um, you know, you really need to look at that at not just from the smoked flower uh, but through edibles, vaporizers concentrates that's the you know the human usage, and then you're going to see some really large growth I think in cannabinoid based uh, pharmaceutical med- pharmaceuticals with the opioid crisis happening, the endocannabinoid system is able to play a really strong role uh, in non addictive medicines. The research is just starting to come out that shows uh, reduction in uh, your opioid use. If you're implementing cannabis-based medicines, um, you think you're going to see a lot of that growth happen as well in the skincare sector. Uh, organic skincare is a tremendously large market. So over-the-counter products are going to be a huge piece of this, and you're sort of seeing cannabis find it, insert itself into every wellness category that you can think of. So outside of just the psychotropic elements of intoxication that you'd see with alcohol or cannabis, there's a plethora of other sectors uh, that I think are going to be dominated as what I call the wellness therapeutic sectors uh, where you'll see cannabis find a a critical role.
1: Do, Do the legal constraints exist for pets as much as they do for human consumption? Or are there segments where you could look at it and say, you know they're going to grow faster because they're not as constrained legally.
2: I think it depends on the input you're considering here. So the the way that legislation is currently structured, cannabidiol, which is often what they put in for things like in pet food, which is one of the many cannabinoids, um, while still a schedule one drug, we'd anticipate seeing that being removed uh, as li- uh, on from the list. Canada's in the process of doing that right now. Uh, the World Health Organization has already done that. Um, so THC seems to be the cannabinoid that is of, of particular concern for regulation. Mm-hmm. So anything that's going to have any substantial level of THC in it is going to f- move through these state-regulated structures. Um, Although currently this is not the case, but I anticipate it changing, CBD will end up being a, uh, found in a more over-the-counter fashion. And you're already able to order CBD through a number of online retailers, and even some major uh, retail stores are found to be carrying that. A, a, a drug that comes in under a, uh, as a nutritional supplement, as so long as it's derived from industrial hemp, but if it's derived from the exact same plant, cannabis sativa, uh, it's it found under a different category, so I think you're going to see that uh, that problem fix itself in the fairly near future.
1: Mm-hmm. Dave, any interesting segments that you think people should be uh, paying close attention to that could grow faster than others as uh, as the market evolves?
3: I think the whole area of functional foods, nutraceuticals. I mean, if you look at the, again the sort of the medical effect um, from cannabis, cannabis is uh, around muscle pain relief. You know, uh, you know, epilepsy, Crohn's disease, things like that. We're getting more and more clinical research that's showing that this, the, the cannabinoids are having very effective at uh, reducing a lot of the, uh, the, the frequency and, and severity of these those diseases. One area that I, I'm most interested in is going to be around uh, the whole area of, of alcoholic beverages. Uh, just last week, one of the beer companies announced that they're going to have a a uh, cannabis-infused beer, which basically is a non-alcoholic beer that's infused mm-hmm. with uh, certain uh, cannabis extracts, that will give you the same type of buzz that a beer will give you, but there will be no hangover uh, from it as well and no none of the effects that you get from beer. And so when you start to see these types of products emerging where they're going to reduce the severity of things like alcohol or opioids or whatever, but still give you the the better parts of it, which are pain relief, you know, muscle release, relaxation, things like that. That's where we're going to see some major shifts in market segments, and I think that's what's concerning the pharmaceutical companies, the beer and wine industries the most. If you look at you know Constellation Brands, which made an investment in Canopy, Canopy being the largest um, grower of cannabis in Canada, and Constellation Brands being a large beer and liquor um, manufacturer, it's kind of you can see where these two you know, industries are going to start uh, to emerge.
1: You know, that beer sounds like exactly what I need for my morning podcast. So hopefully that <laughs> exactly, sooner rather yes. than later.
3: a bit of relaxation. Yes,
1: exactly. You're listening to ShopCast. I'm Michael Dart uh, with Jesse McConnell and Dave Donnan. And we'll be back after a short break.
4: Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network.
0: Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? AT Kearney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit ATKearney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
4: Voice America Business Network.
0: You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program.
1: I'm Michael Dart, and welcome back to ShopCast. I'm with my guests, Jesse McConnell and Dave Donnan, and we're talking about the fast-growing, fast-changing cannabis industry. And Jesse, uh, my next line of questions really is what's happening on the retail end of this industry. I live in San Francisco and over the last few years, there's just been a real change in retail storefronts in and around my neighborhood. A number of places opening up actually, uh, selling marijuana. A lot of it obviously was just medical marijuana, but there's also a lot of places now beginning to open up that, uh, uh, suggest you should come there, smoke. They're much more experiential. Uh, there's even a company that's a fast delivery company promising to bring marijuana to, uh, to users within, uh, I guess, an hour or two. So I'm curious, uh, what are you seeing out there, and how do you think the retail structure is going to look in this industry?
2: Well, I think that the, uh, the retail structure is going to mirror trends that we see in more traditional retail um, a movement toward online uh, is certainly underway. When you look at the demographics around the consumer, uh, especially the heavier user, uh, they, they are skewed toward a younger demographic, you know, 25 to 35, and they are they're consuming um, and, and using online retail more and more. Uh, now, you consider the type of product this is; it doesn't need to be refrigerated. Um, it's fairly easy to transport. It doesn't have to be there in 45 minutes less or it's, you know, no longer hot. Uh, So some of the issues that you'd see for pizza and beer um, don't apply uh, for cannabis. So I think you're going to see a lot of delivery services, um, but that consumption pattern uh, mirrors more for people who already understand exactly what they want. Um, and what we're going through is a very innovative time in the industry itself where we're seeing retail, particularly in cannabis, a move away from simply being a gateway where you can purchase the product and you're just happy to be there, uh, to moving toward a more experiential retail. So, this is particularly true outside of the traditional cannabis users who were already comfortable walking into some of these shops, um, but, but quite frankly many of them were not very professional, they were, uh, they were poorly managed and not that the teams were not good people, but uh, the level of sophistication was fairly low and it was, and it was appealing to a specific audience um, and it meant that uh, certain members of society were not comfortable going into those spaces. And that's, I think, the big shift that's happening. If you're going to attract new consumers, um, consumers who want to try the product, who understand, who've done their research, uh, but haven't been happy walking into a store with a giant marijuana leaf and a reggae flag in the background, um, and I love Bob Marley, so it's got nothing to do with that, but <laughs> you need to create a way for them to approach this product in a way that makes them feel safe and maybe makes them feel comfortable, um, And that, I think, is going to be the really big shift. And once that has been accomplished, then I think you'll see more traditional moves, and that will just mirror the rest of retail. But what the consumer really is looking for right now is both a a comfortable and approachable space where they can destigmatize and understand the product um, and be guided through a process that they've really only known before as rolling joints, and now there's 500 uh, SKUs on the shelf, and they don't Mm -hmm. know what any of those products are. So there has to be that component of it. Uh, Then there's the experiential component of, although I can order beer here in Canada and have it delivered to my house, I still enjoy going to the shop. I still enjoy browsing and perusing. um, And I I enjoy that experience of of picking through and then moving along. Uh, And I think that's where you're going to see cannabis really evolve and open up a number of the consumers that previously uh, were... We're, we're nervous to even walk in those shops.
1: And Dave, when when you look around, maybe internationally, where we have markets that are a little bit more developed in terms of their retail structure for this product, are there any lessons learned from those environments in terms of what's successful, what works, what doesn't work? I'm obviously thinking, you know, specifically about Amsterdam and places, but I'm sure there's a lot more uh, than that.
3: Yeah, Amsterdam's interesting because it, you know it is illegal in Amsterdam; it just happens to be. Something that uh, you can do inside the the various um cafe coffee houses there and and no one really you know cares or, or matters, but uh, you know the the word that really comes out an often used word in retail now is is curation and this mm-hmm. is going to be so important and, and you know as jesse mentioned there's you know the the traditional users that know how to use bud and know how to smoke flour, but majority of the new consumers are are ones that have either used it 30 years ago in college, or have never used it at all, and are looking at it from A, it has the medicinal characteristics of uh, pain and swelling and other relief, but also it represents a, a different type of, uh, of relaxation than you get from alcohol or other products. And so the curation, the, the bud tender, as they call them within the dispensaries, becomes very important. So the if you butt-tender. look at some of the the bud tender, yes, instead of a bartender, yeah. um, If you look at the retail dispensaries that have that are developed around heavy tourist areas, you know San Francisco is going to probably you're going to see those very quickly. But go to Las Vegas right now. Las Vegas, I think, has the most interesting collection of marijuana dispensaries that I've seen. You know, companies called Reef Essence, the 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 Grove, uh, Apothecarium. I mean, there's all of these different stores that are you go into them are like Apple stores. You know, they've got people that are helping you. They'll help you make decisions. They've got their products displayed in a very minimalistic approach. They have large LED LCD screens that give you all the aspects of the product and where it came from and, and how you know what the prices are, etc., and very, very helpful bud tenders that help you through the experience. If you're coming in saying, I've never used it before and I want to use it in order to reduce back pain, or if I'm coming in to say, you know, I'm looking for something to have on a Friday night to help me relax, they will help select the product, and that's going to be an important part of how this product will start to get beyond sort of the core users into a much broader market uh, spectrum.
1: And those retail stores are for recreational use right now, or you don't need to... Uh, you, when you go uh, into
3: them, they're interesting. They're, they're, they're not, you know, you, you walk in, you, you show your ID and everything else, but most of them you go to the left to medical, and there you would have an independent counselor that will talk you through, mm-hmm. who usually has some sort of a medical background, or you go to the right, and there'll be a counterplace that looks like an Apple store. And, uh, you know, again, uh, lots of uh, great fixturing, some of them um, like uh, uh, MedMen is, is, you know, very much wood and, and oak and, and uh, you know, very comfortable type of retail establishment. But they will have both in them right now. But you're going to probably see the evolution of the recreational side as it becomes much more mainstream.
1: And, Jesse, for those of us who probably don't know as much about the product – Does it have as much variety as wine, for example, in terms of the different types of products? So that, you know, as Dave's describing, going in and trying a lot of different things, it's almost like going to a wine tasting event. Is that how I should think about it?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think arguably it actually has more um, because uh, wine, to use the analogy – has a tremendous number of taste profiles. And you can get that same experience uh, with cannabis. Um, Everything from piney notes to citrusy notes to to fruity notes. Uh, So you can, that's what they call the terpene profile. Uh, But then beyond that, there's many form factors in which you can consume cannabis. So wine is consumed as liquid and liquid only. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cannabis can be consumed as flour, as edibles, as concentrates, as vaporizer products. so you're getting more than simply uh, the different flavor profiles. You're getting the form factors, and then you add an additional component of that, the the, the type of psychoactivity associated which, with each product. So one of the trends we're seeing now is creating cannabinoid ratios that have significant amount of cannabidiol or CBD in them, and you'll see two-to-one or four-to-one ratios, uh, which create a, an anti-anxiety effect, so it modulates mm-hmm. some of the psychoactive experience of THC, truly creating a a, a different experience than simply the uh, otherwise associated THC. Uh, so, I think it's it's a more profoundly different experience of what type of experience outside of the the empirical one, I, i.e. the uh, the taste profiles are you looking for as a cannabis user? Do you want to go to sleep with this? Would you like to go for a walk? Do you want to go paint? Uh, Is this something for hardcore physical activity? There's actually different psychoactive profiles that you're able to tailor for the type of activity or experience you're looking to have.
1: This takes me, Dave, to my next uh, area of inquiry, which is uh, how are they thinking about branding themselves? Given all of these different characteristics, are we probably too early in the U.S., but are we starting to see companies taking very strong brand positions and uh, and trying to really differentiate themselves across these dimensions?
3: Absolutely. I think the branding is going to be the next major evolution that we're going to see, you know, going from where people will have the bud tender help them select the product to where brands become on their own sort of that trust mark that people understand the product and what it delivers. I mean, Jesse can probably talk directly to some of the brands that, that he has right now. And they have different profiles and go after different types of consumers. Jesse, you you can talk a bit about your brands.
2: Yeah, I'll use one as an example. Um, a 1964 supply company, uh, which is named after the year THC was discovered, um, is, is meant to go after the cannabis aficionado who is also the, the mainstream consumer. Uh, somebody who crosses that line, who who mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a daily user, um, somebody who wants to, who enjoys beach volleyball, who likes surfing, um, who enjoys the arts, and is looking to have an easy to use product. So we focus a lot of this on oil, um, but associate that with a certain type of lifestyle. So, you know, that's the kind of brand that you can compare to a more cannabis focused brand uh, like Kingpin. Um, which is looking to, for more, you know, the, the heavy cannabis user out there. So brands are going to, you know, take positions that, uh, you, that the user is going to understand or associate with their own personal lifestyles. Uh, in in the same way we see brands develop in all kinds of other consumer packaged good markets. Um, and underneath that, we'll have, you know, subcategories. So for us under 1964, we have strains that are associated with flour, uh, but then we have uh, specific psychoactive profiles for our oils. There's a, there's a small offering because um, mm-hmm. we don't believe that you need to have 200 different type profiles. Um, and you have one for you know m- more mature users who have been in the market for a longer time, and then you have one for the soccer moms who are looking to get into the space. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be important to offer a variety of products for your demographic, but also to understand who your consumer is and not trying to be something for everybody.
1: Uh I'm here with uh, Jesse McConnell and Dave Donnan uh, talking about cannabis. We'll be back straight after this break.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Kearney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atkearney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at ATCarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250.
4: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business
0: Network. You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to ShopCast. I'm Michael Dart, and I'm talking with my guests, Jesse and Dave, about uh, the cannabis industry. And Jesse, you were talking... About branding and all of the different segments, I'm curious, um, how many brands does uh, Rubicon Organics actually have, and and how are you thinking about positioning them sort of across the spectrum of consumer usage again? Just a little bit more color on that would be great.
2: Sure. Well, we we believe in a a brand portfolio approach uh, that isn't about building pretty boxes to put products in. Uh, It's about developing teams and organizations around each one of those brands uh, that tell interesting stories that connect with the consumers that they're looking to connect with. Uh, And I think it's difficult for any one company to produce 10 or 12 or 15 brands. Uh, There's certain companies out there trying to do Mm -hmm. that, and you just sort of get replications of the same idea with a different box. So right now, uh, we Mm -hmm. have two brands in the marketplace, 1964 and Dr. and Crook. One Mm -hmm. is a California Beach lifestyle brand. Uh, the other one is very much aimed at Pacific Northwest and craft cannabis. Um, we don't foresee there being the Coca Cola of cannabis per se. Well, many are, are are hoping that's going to be the case. Uh, I think that the evolution of the brand of brands is going to look more like a number of craft brands, where those brands truly are tailored to more specific consumer demographics. So we've got another two brands under development that are in stealth mode, so we can't talk about. Uh, And then the way that we believe brands are really gonna develop, which is gonna be partnerships and joint ventures where we might be able to help with our infrastructure and work with teams who have specific connections to specific consumer mentalities in the space. Uh, And they're gonna be able to tell their brand story and we're gonna help support that. So, So we look at it as, you know, Brands are a bunch of decentralized entrepreneurial organizations, and that if we work together, we can create economies of scale, uh, and we can create a nice portfolio, but that the brands themselves truly are run by the people who are passionate about those brands, and it's not a large corporate office sitting on top of that, knocking out brands on, uh, on their computers. I think it's a little different approach, um, but it's one that's going to yeah. resonate more so with consumers. Uh, today, who, who know the authenticity of a brand in a way that uh, wasn't as available to them even five years ago.
1: So, as Canada moves to full legalization, you know, for recreational usage, how have you know established brands in other product segments? Maybe alcohol is a good example. And how have the retailers responded to this? And and what is taking place there in terms of their you know, desire to actually market the product, sell the product, potentially invest in it. Can uh, can you give us a sense of that, Jesse?
2: Well, I think in Canada, there's going to be a, it's going to take some time to see Uh, brands properly develop in the Canadian space. Uh, There's significant marketing restrictions on that and I think a lot of it's associated uh, with the stigma around cannabis and a very cautious approach that Canada is taking. Um, We're not able to advertise in any way like alcohol is. Uh, So our belief is actually that brands are going to be developed more so in the California space where there's You know the hotbed of the entertainment industry. There's many Mm -hmm. eyeballs on there, especially on digital platforms. And then those brands will take, uh, you know, their own ethos and their shape down there, and they're going to actually migrate on an international level. And those are the kind of brands that can move into the Canadian space, as I believe we see marketing restrictions relax in the next year or so in Canada, largely as the as government policymakers and consumers start destigmatizing and understanding that this product is, is not the devil's coming to town. Uh, this is a product that uh, you know, has associated health benefits with it, etc. So I think brand, uh, brands actually find their genesis and origin in the, uh, largely in the California marketplace, and yep. then you'll see that distribution in Canada.
1: And, and Dave, how mainstream can cannabis go? Um, clearly you've got companies... I believe the American Cannabis Company, which has signed a deal with Walmart, Amazon, Home Depot to sell some of their ancillary products like potting soils and root probiotics, etc. I'm curious, you know, how mainstream you think it's going to go? Can these products go national? Um, What are you seeing out there?
3: I I think, again, you know, given the time and and as people learn more about it, it'll go very mainstream. mentioned earlier about pet foods. That's going to be an area where you're going to see more and more uh, consumers are going to be, you know, able to feed, feed pet products to their um, their pets that have uh, a CBD oils or or some sort of a uh, uh, CBD component to it. And you're also seeing with the emergence of some of the um, sports drinks. For example, think of a sports drink that after a workout that you drink that not only gives you your electrolytes, etc., but also reduces the pain in your muscles and helps you relax. So as these products and the medical side of things and the therapeutic side start to become more and more mainstream as well. I think you're going to see these products across the board. You know, Jesse mentioned about organic uh, cosmetics. Uh, Again, think of a face cream which reduces swelling under your eyes. Mm -hmm. So as we learn more and more about the benefits of cannabis, and again, think about cannabis has been around for a long time, but we don't know the benefits because it has been a class one narcotic and it was illegal to do the trials and the medical efficacy tests. Now we're seeing the medical tests and the side-by-side and clinical trials going on in the Netherlands and Israel and in Canada. And eventually they'll start to come into the U.S. as well. And that's where the market will really accelerate.
1: And Jesse, who do you think are going to be the, quote, losers, if you like? Like obviously if this market grows at the level that people are forecasting the way in which Dave was talking about it, then a lot of dollars are going to be switching categories. Is there any data or perspective on who's going to be losing share and who should be worried about what's happening here?
2: I think um, from an investor's perspective, they should worry less about the sector that they're investing in cannabis and more about the teams that they're investing with. Uh, the aggregate demand is undeniable. Uh, you know, the, the size is going to be tremendous. Um, and everything from cultivation to branding to distribution, all all of these are going to be high growth areas. The real question is that they can't, there can't be as many winners as there are our currently players in the marketplace. So, in a in a highly in an emerging but still very risky sector, uh, yep. you need management teams who know how to yep. manage that risk, who've got financial discipline, uh, who aren't just jumping on the next shiny thing. Uh, and I think that is really the due diligence. For the investor here. Make sure that yep. any team that you put your money behind is the sort of team that is taking calculated risks and mm-hmm. who is willing to constantly check and adjust as this, you know, market unfolds.
1: And Dave, do you think it's the alcohol companies who are going to have to uh, maybe think about investing in this space sooner rather than later if, uh, if it grows at the rate it's growing? Because presumably that's where there's going to be a big switch.
3: I mean, they already are, and the example of uh, Constellation and Canopy. So the alcohol companies are going to be investing, I think, pharmaceuticals as well. Uh, uh, so you're going to see a lot more, um, you know, large corporate money coming into the marketplace. But I think, you know, as Jesse meant, the next five years are going to be a bit of a wild, wild west. You know, we're, we're growing an entirely new industry based on regulations that are going in state by state, a federal government that's not really you know, supportive at this point in time of products we don't know about yet um, that haven't really been designed. And there's a lot of people that are trying to jump into this bandwagon to this gold rush. And I think it's going to be a strong management team, you know, really focused on a long-term vision that are going to be successful. And there'll be a lot of players that'll come in and go out of the market in the meantime.
1: Well, Jesse and Dave, I I want to say thank you very much for sharing your expertise and providing us with a detailed insight in what's happening in the uh, the cannabis market. And we are going to watch the wild, wild west, I think, for the next five years unfold here and uh, wish you both successes as, uh, as you go through, uh, go through with your business plans and follow through on what uh, you're trying to accomplish. So thank you for joining the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It was very enjoyable.
1: So I'm Michael Dart, and next week we will be interviewing David Jaffe. Uh, David Jaffe is the CEO of Acena, Um, brands including Ann Taylor, Loft, Maurice's, Justice, Dress Barn, and he'll be sharing with us his insights on how he thinks the retail landscape's changing in a completely different category, obviously, women's apparel. Um, But thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again all next week. Thank you for
0: listening to ShopCast, talking retail strategy. Please join host Michael Dart for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And check out past episodes at any time on demand. We hope you enjoy your week.